0: And as we continue our study of the tabernacle, if you need an outline, wave your hand there and we'll have someone get you one. There, I knew I had one here. Now, what I've tried to do is present this a little differently than we have in the past, at first, we looked at the whole idea. I mean, we we have this thought in our mind, this thing that is ingrained in us, that it is really we who are seeking God. And we have to be careful that we do not uh, allow the pendulum to swing to the other extreme, that of Calvinism, where uh, we have no choice. Uh, God is the one that chooses everything. Neither end, neither extreme is true. Uh, It is God that makes an opportunity for us to seek Him, for us to meet with Him. Uh, Really and truly, that is the working definition of the word grace. Unmerited favor. The fact that God would allow us to approach Him. I mean, we are sinful. We have rebelled against Him. God has done everything for us. And yet, we make it difficult on God, and of course, that's just humanly speaking. We do not make anything difficult or easy for God. God takes care of everything. And then, last time we went through this, we looked at the presence of God in the tabernacle, Wherever we see gold, pure gold, we see God the Father, wood-covered gold, we see Jesus Christ. Uh, We see the presence of God throughout the tabernacle. And tonight, what I would like for us to do is just look at man. Uh, Aren't you glad that God allows us to do something in worship to him? Uh, uh, Oftentimes, people... Picture this thing called worship as somehow we are enhancing God or we're bringing something to God that He needs. Nothing could be further from the truth. God does not need anything. We cannot enhance God. We cannot do anything. But God allows us to participate in worship. And as we started this, I'd like to just remind you, the highest achievement that a human being can attain is acceptable worship to God. The greatest thing you and I can accomplish as human beings is to bring worship to God that he will accept. Stop and think about it. Uh I mean there are lots of quote unquote great things human beings can and have done. Uh we just celebrated Memorial Day and and talked about those that gave their lives and many others who served so that so that we can be free. That is a, a great accomplishment. And and we're glad for it and we respect that. And and uh we we do everything we can here in church to honor our servicemen and, and women. And, and, and we're rather limited in our small congregation what we can and cannot do. But think about this. Not an audience with the President of the United States. An audience with God himself. That, that's what worship is. Uh, I love the idea of heavy lifting is as you grab a hold of something that is very heavy and that weight begins to transfer from whatever it is sitting or resting on to you, you begin to feel the pressure. And uh, if you're not careful, you can do really bad things to the human body by transferring too much weight uh uh You can mess up your joints and all kinds of physical disorders are uh, uh, can, uh, they're, uh, uh, attached to that idea. But the fact that we can, God will allow us with human hands to grapple with who he is. And I'll tell you, we're going to end up at the same place every time. If. We approach God through the Bible. Hebrews 11.6 He that cometh to God must what? Believe that he is and that he is the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. We are going to come to one conclusion. God is good. Now, how many of you have had something happen to you that you were not thankful for? Huh? Huh? Well, last night, what was it, Philip? About nine thirty, he comes and says, "Dad, the bathtub won't drain." And so we worked on it for about an hour, and after that, realized that we weren't going to fix it from the bathtub end. We're going to have to go down and pull the ceiling apart, and then go up in there and take the pipes. And oh, I found the problem, uh, and I won't—I will spare you the details, okay? Uh, but it was not nice, and I'm—I'm I'm sitting there. And, uh, my hands are all scratched up, reaching up into the wire lath to pull the pipes out. And I'm, uh, you know, now it's about 1231 o'clock in the morning and we're just getting to the stinky part. And, uh, that verse comes into my mind. Give thanks in everything for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. And the one I just quoted you, God is always good. And I'm saying, Okay, Lord, uh, uh, where where is the good in this? Well, I'll, I'll tell you where the good is. God gives patience to put it all back together, and we had a working bathroom this morning. Uh, uh, you know, sometimes it's just, Lord, we're, we're, I'm willing to put up with this if you're willing to give it to me so I can follow you. Amen. And as we deal with man in the tabernacle, uh, first we want to deal with how man is pictured. God is pictured in the mercy seat, Jesus Christ, the Ark of the Covenant, the Holy Spirit. If you want to know where the Holy Spirit is actually pic- pictured, it is in the darkness of the most holy place. That area surrounding it was cut off. It was sealed. Only on the day of atonement could the high priest and only the high priest enter the most holy place. That's God. The building of the tabernacle pictures Jesus Christ. The only way we can worship God is in Jesus Christ. Just as the priest was standing in the building of the tabernacle Worshipping God, that's the only way you and I can worship God. Uh, the candlestick, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. If you want to see and understand the difference between what is actually true and what isn't, how many of you ha- have experienced this? I mean, people tell us things and we hear it over and over again. We find out it's simply not true. This whole thing about global warming. By the way, global warming is true. It happens every day, and if it didn't, we'd freeze to death. Global warming comes from the sun. This idea of man made global warming is going to destroy the Earth, they got it all wrong. You see, they say the polar ice caps are going to melt and the world's going to flood. Uh, Go back to Genesis. God said that's never going to happen. The world that now is. Is going to be destroyed by fire. That's not global warming. Uh, We passed that. A long time ago. Amen. Uh, But that's not going to happen until the end of the millennial kingdom. So don't get worried. It cannot happen any closer than a thousand and seven years from tonight. Amen. But. They, they tell us all these things, and they're just not true. When I was in high school, it was global freezing. The sun was going to go out, and, and we were going to end up in an ice age. And, and wait a minute. If we're going to understand what is actually true and what isn't, maybe we ought to get out God's Word and see what it has to say. Because I'll tell you what, this Bible is always right. Always has been, always will be. The light, and the light comes from the solid gold. The table of showbread is Jesus Christ. He gave himself so that we could be saved. The altar of incense is our prayers. Do you realize that our prayers are supposed to be directed to God the Father through Jesus Christ under the direction and influence of the Holy Spirit of God? This is all pictured in the tabernacle. So where does man come in? Ah, now we go outside the tabernacle. And as you would come into the eastern gate, the only opening in the court of the tabernacle, the first thing you're going to see is the brazen altar. You see, the altar was made out of wood. That's a picture of man, just like Gold-covered wood is Jesus, the God-man. We have brass-covered wood here. Now, if you want to know what brass pictures in the tabernacle, it pictures the judgment of God. You read Psalm 119, 176 verses, talking about how good God's laws are. You know, we we live in a day when people say, well, I'm not going to follow all those laws. Well, God's laws is what offers us our protection. If you took an altar made out of wood and lit a big fire on that altar made out of wood, what would happen to it? It would burn right up with the sacrifice. But if you take a thick coating of brass and melt that brass and make plating to go over top of that wood, they claim that that fire burned there for over 600 years. 800 years, actually. And it never damaged the wood. You know, we have people that, psychiatric wards are loaded full of people because of guilt. They won't forgive themselves, they won't forgive other people. Do you know how I deal with the fact that I am a dirty, rotten sinner on my way to hell, but for the grace of God, is I cope myself with the judgments of God. And the fire of His judgment does not destroy me. It draws me closer to Him. You see, that's the picture of the brazen altar. That's how God's Word works in my life. If I will live in the judgments of God, if I will accept what God says, I can accomplish the subduing of the greatest enemy I face in my life, me. By the way, the greatest enemy you face in your life is not me. it is you. Amen. Uh, it is ourselves. We, the biggest problem we have to understanding truth is this little thing right up here. I, I don't know how many people I've met over the years. And say, I don't see it that way. I don't accept anything that I can't see and understand. Oh, really? That's not true. That is just simply not true. There are some... How, a, Uh, Do we have any aeronautical engineers in here today? Uh, But how many of you have ever been on an airplane? Don't tell me you understand how that plane flies. Uh, I mean, we all got basic principles. I mean, that engine goes and we take off and, and we don't hit the ground. And that's a good thing, right? Uh, don't tell me that you understand everything that is in your life, because you don't. We don't understand electricity. The greatest scientist in the world cannot explain light. But I'm sure glad we have it and use it. Amen? And I am so glad that the light in these light bulbs is just gentle enough to give us illumination and doesn't burn holes in the pews and the floors and the people and, uh, but a laser would do that now wouldn't it you see instead of trying to understand everything about God how about we understand what God says about our sin if we'll start there everything in this book will start making sense The brazen altar, there was supposed to be a morning and evening sacrifice. And by the way, as the priest would rake the ashes off of the altar in the morning, he would take of the burning coals of that and put it in a censer and hold on to that because when he got into the holy place... He would need fire to offer incense on the golden altar. How many remember the story of Nadab and Abihu? Leviticus chapter 10. They did not get their fire from off the brazen altar. The Bible called it strange fire because it didn't belong there. And God killed them. They both died that day instantly. Because they refused to follow the rules that were in God's book. Someone says, well, why doesn't God just kill us all today? Well, it's called grace. Amen? It's called long-suffering. I I like to put it this way. How many of you would say amen to the patience of God with us? Amen? Amen? Hallelujah. Praise the Lord that He is patient, that He doesn't give up, that He doesn't treat us like we do Him sometimes. How many of you grown impatient with God in answering your prayers? Hey, let's, let's be very, very careful. and Let's be reminded the brazen altar, the daily sacrifice was offered there And the morning and the evening, the fire for the incense was provided. Just a couple applications, certainly not all of them. But when Jesus was telling the disciples the cost of discipleship, what did he say? If you're going to follow me, I want you to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Illustrated perfectly in the brazen altar. The sacrifice was placed there. The sacrifice was dead. The sacrifice was burned to ashes. If we could only take all of our expectations and our ideas and our thoughts and allow that to happen to them. Uh, What's the words of that one song? My uh, hopes and plans at my feet in ashes lay. Well, brazen altar. Right here we are. And this is what Jesus meant when he said, take up my cross. Galatians 2.20, I quote it often in preaching. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Now, the word crucified means put to death on a cross. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I. How does that work? I give up myself. Tell you what, if you're preparing for marriage, here's the best marriage counseling you can have. Is stop expecting things and surrender yourself to God. Completely. God's got far better taste than you do. Uh, He's got far better plans for you and far greater blessings for you than you could ever Imagine, if you would only give up what you think you need and allow Jesus to give you what he knows you need, you can have the joy of your salvation. And that happens at the brazen altar. It's God's laws. It's his judgment. Psalm 119. Uh, I love verse 89. He said, I find thy commandment exceeding broad. He said, I've seen, um, oh, I'm going to misquote it. Boy, I'll tell you what, I hate it when I do that. Here it is, Psalm 119, 96. I have seen an end of all perfection. He said, I've seen the best that man can produce, but thy commandment is exceeding broad. I have more freedom on the narrow way than doing what God says than I do on the Broadway doing whatever comes into my mind to do. God's way is free. It's, it is my protection. It is the death of myself that makes my prayers. It finally gets me to a point to where I can start praying for things that God wants to do instead of what I want to do. Do not be that person that instructs, tries to instruct God. Amen? How many of you have ever been faced with something you knew what to do and you knew how to fix it and there was somebody there trying to tell you how to do it and you knew it was all wrong? Oh, there is very few things in life that is more frustrating than that. But but happens all the time. Wow, you got a problem there. Yeah, tell me. Hello, Captain Obvious. How are you doing today? Uh, Listen. God will not accept anything from us until we surrender ourselves. That's how you get saved. That's how you live for him every day. If we could stop trying to tell God what to do. Now, I want to move on to another part here. Um, This is the pillars of the court. If you will remember, the tabernacle had a seven-foot linen wall that separated the tabernacle itself from the camp of the children of Israel. A hundred feet long. 50 feet wide, a rectangle, always facing east. Every five foot was a wooden pillar. Oh, wait a minute. We said wood is the essence of man, right? So what, what significance could we find here in these pillars that just hold up a curtain to keep everybody else from looking in and see what happens uh, inside the tabernacle? The tabernacle itself uh can just took up a, a very small portion, less than a third of that area was the entire tabernacle. The rest of it was empty space. That's where the priest would uh prepare the offerings. They actually lived in the tabernacle while they were serving there, so there were, had to be a place for them to sleep and other things in that courtyard. That was uh set aside. You know, we have a lot of talk today Uh, well, I shouldn't say a lot of talk, most people don't care anymore, but uh, it's called separation or personal holiness. The word holy means sanctified or separated unto. And uh, when I was uh, a young man, uh, the Bible college I went to, they they taught on separation from the world. And, And by that, they meant that we should not dress like the world. We should not walk like the world. We should not have the same music and entertainment the world had. Can you imagine they had a, um, this was back in 1982, they had one of those projection TVs in the student center. I mean, 60 inches wide. And you know, if anybody's old enough to remember those things, the picture was fuzz. I mean, it was just terrible. But those people at that college had a monitor there every moment that TV was on, watching everything that was on the TV. And if something untoward came on, their job was to turn off the commercials or whatever else might be uh, so that students at Bible College would not be exposed to things that they should not Uh, be looking at things we take for granted, things, uh, you know, uh, undergarment commercials and things like this. They actually turned it off and then turned it back on. Could you imagine that? See, they're crazy. No. They were trying to honor God's holiness by not sullying the minds of the students with all of the filth that is in the world. Now you go on to that campus, and it's completely changed. It's all gone. You see, those pillars of wood, each one of them had a socket of brass. Now, the word socket just means a big lump of brass with a hole in it that the post fit down in. Now, what did we say brass was? Judgment discerning between right and wrong. So if I stand on God's judgment, discerning between right and wrong, and hold up a veil of separation, let me have you turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 6, a verse that we teach on, one of the greatest promises in all the Bible. And it is most often ignored... 2 Corinthians chapter 6. If you don't have these verses memorized, I would challenge you to do so. To think about them. Meditate. If you want to meditate on something, meditate on this. 6.17, 2 Corinthians. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. And will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Go to Revelation chapter 3. You might want to write this uh, reference in your book. It's not in your outline. It just came into my mind. I want us to touch on it. Revelation 3 verse 12. Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go no more out. And I will write upon him the name of my God and the name... Of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God, and I will write upon him my new name. This is a promise that God gives to people who will just simply not move. We we do not need to be afraid of the world's innovation. That's what they do. They always come up with a new way of doing things. Ladies, when you toured that old mansion up there on the... What was the one thing that impressed you? All of the hand work that was in that house. You know what? We don't carve wood by hand anymore. We used to have the Byzantine wood carver up here on Astoria Boulevard. He's the guy that did our sign out front. He he carved those letters into one piece of oak by hand. I'll tell you what. I couldn't do that. I couldn't do that with machinery. I, I'd mess it all up. Just because there's a new way of doing it doesn't mean it's better. In fact, and we're not afraid of technology. I use computers. I could not do what I do keeping track of all the finances of the churches and things like that if I didn't have a computer helping me. And it helps me in my study because I can't remember every verse in the Bible that I would like to, and I type in some of the words and they'll come up, no matches found, type in another set, no matches found. And, and then I uh I'll keep abbreviating down until the I just use parts of, ah, there's the verse I was looking for, but it didn't say what I thought it said. I have to change my notes to fix to agree with the Bible. Amen? I mean, this is the process that God wants us to be involved in. He does not want us to be part of the world. But the only way we're going to accomplish that is by standing on the judgments of God. Allowing God to tell us what is right and what is wrong. And so, we have man pictured in the tabernacle, in the brazen altar, and in the pillars that hold the veil that separates uh, the uh, court of the tabernacle from the camp of Israel. And and I want to spend just a few minutes talking about lots of references are here, and, and I hope you don't mind me going through it this way, but I'd like you to look up, uh, these references and read through these things, every morning the priest, not, not necessarily the high priest, but the priest would come into the tabernacle. The first thing he would do is rake the ashes off of the brazen altar and kindle a new fire and put a new sacrifice. How many of you think you could build a fire that would burn all night and still be burning the next morning? I'll tell you what it takes some artistry just to get keep a campfire going all night without having to get up every hour and tend to it uh it it, it takes some work now now we're going to add to it a wet animal freshly killed and we have to build that fire big enough to dry All of the moisture out of the body of that animal and then consume it and burn it into ashes along with the wood. That that was not a little fire, my friend. And the next morning when the priest come in, he was not digging through the ashes looking for sparks. He had to have sufficient coals to kindle a brand new fire. Or what happened to Nadab and Abihu was going to happen to him. You know, that only happened once. Never happened again. They learned how to keep that fire going. And again, we say they took some of the coals off of that, and those coals had to be hot enough and strong enough that he could take it in and lay them out on the golden altar and put incense, and that would smolder all day long. He then would trim the wicks, as the oil would go through the wick that was there, the linen wick, it would burn, it would become uh, coated with ash and soot, and the light it gave would come down, and so he would have to go through there with the tongs, and trim the ashes off the wick, and make sure that it would give its proper light, refill the oil. There was a lot of work to the tabernacle. And in the evening, He was to do the same thing so that in the morning when he came into the tabernacle, there was still light in the tabernacle. This was the job of the priest. God did not miraculously keep the candlestick burning. He did not miraculously keep the fire on the altar burning. This was the job of the priest. We're talking about man in the tabernacle. There was work that man had to do to order the tabernacle. As he uh, would do his work, his hands would get dirty. They would get covered with ashes. When he killed the animal, they would get blood and fur and skin and different things on them. He had to have water in the laver, clean water, to wash his hands and wash his feet. The Bible says that he died not. We have no record in history of any priest working in the tabernacle that died because he did not wash his hands. Can you imagine how much water that took? I mean, it was a laver. It was this big around and it probably sat... Uh, very close to the ground. And, and we'll talk about it in particular. It was made out of the looking glasses. In those days, they did not have mirrors. And so you would take a piece of fine brass. It, it could not have imperfections or pits or anything. And then that was polished, super fine. Ladies, how would you like to have a piece of brass as your only mirror? Uh Praise God for silver oxide and glass, right? Uh, But the uh, point was, they made that laver out of that fine brass. It would have been beautiful and shiny, just like the mirrors. You know why? Because the priest could have looked down into the image there and made sure that he was clean. That was something that had to be continually done. Then came the sacrifices for the children of Israel. And there would have been a multitude of sacrifices during the day that was offered. Then on the special days, and the references are here, uh, in the month of April you would have Passover, that would be, and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, that would go on for eight days. There were special sacrifices offered every day on top of the daily sacrifice and the daily ministration. Um, then you come uh to the uh, pass, uh, the Feast of Weeks. They would shear the ground. They would have the first uh, fruits of the land brought in. And then they would have 50 days to gather in all the harvest. That was the feast in the New Testament we call the Day of Pentecost. And, and there were special offerings to be offered on that day. The Feast of Atonement. The Day of Atonement was one day in either... uh Mid-September to early October, it was followed just a few days later by the Feast of Tabernacles that would go on uh, uh, for another eight days. And then uh, the beginning of each month, the new moon, they had additional sacrifices that had to be offered. So imagine if the new moon came during Passover or the Feast of Tabernacles I mean, you would have 10 or 20 different offerings that were required before the other offerings. And so, uh, and then every Sabbath, the daily offering was doubled. There were two lambs in the morning, two lambs in the evening, plus the daily sacrifice. So, in fact, tripled on the Sabbath day. And Jesus said they served on the Sabbath day and did not die or did not transgress the law of God because they were fulfilling it. I, I want to challenge you here that there was a lot of work in the tabernacle in worshiping God. We we tend to think we have this modern idea that worship is something that happens to you. That's not the Bible pattern. The Bible pattern is something you accomplish in your service to God on This is one of the reasons why I, I challenge you and encourage you. Hey, when you come to church Sunday morning for our weekly worship service, our Sunday morning worship service, if you want to have a great, exciting Sunday morning service, come prayed up and ready to worship God. Because it's not something I can give you. Uh, they talk about worship leaders, you know, swaying back and forth. Now, I'm, I'll never be pretty enough to be a worship leader uh, in, in that sense. But the idea here is the pastor is the worship leader. As we look at the Word of God and ask God to change our hearts, if we have tenderized our hearts, if we have prepared ourselves by the death of ourselves, by the holding up of the standard, standing in God's law... Guess what? I'm a long ways along the road to getting rid of myself. The whole purpose of worshiping God, you cannot worship God until you get rid of yourself first. And we want to enjoy the light of Jesus Christ. Do we not? But you have to trim the wicks. You have to keep the oil filled. That's why we give you a daily Bible reading schedule. That's why it's so hard to keep up with it. Because the devil fights us. Our flesh fights us. Everything that's in us fights us. To surrender ourselves to the light of of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. We have the incense. And and please don't raise your hand. This is not what this is about, but if you know the joy of answered prayer, could you say amen? Well, the key to getting prayers answered is getting my heart in line with God's heart. That's that's effectively what worship accomplishes. God wants us to pray. When we go through the actual pattern in, in the tabernacle, and those of you that have been through this before understand the the closest you can get to God is the golden altar of incense. We have no right or reason as servants of Jesus Christ To go any further, Jesus finished the work at the mercy seat once and forever. But that golden altar of incense should be our ultimate goal. We went through the uh, uh, armor of God just Sunday night. Just a quick review. What is the purpose of the armor? What is the duty of the soldier? Praying always with all prayer and supplication for all saints in the spirit. Not in the flesh. We've we got to see these things. The washing of the laver is the daily cleansing of sin as I serve God. Do you understand that as I try to serve God, I'm not going to do everything right? Hey, we shouldn't have to have this whole list of terrible sins that we do, that we confess every day. We, we should be trying to serve God. It should be the direction of our lives. And we're still going to do things wrong. That's what the labor is about. Amen? You see, God gives us everything that is necessary to serve him. That's why Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. But Jesus also said, strive to enter in at the straight gate. He said, many are going to try, but they're not going to be able to get in. Because they won't let go of themselves. They won't surrender who and what they are and what they want out of this life to God. God sets his standard. 2 Corinthians 6 It says, if we'll touch not the unclean thing, if we'll be separate, he'll be a father and we'll be sons and daughters. I'll tell you, as I pass on and get older in life, and now I have grandkids and uh, I, I enjoy those things, but every once in a while I think, wouldn't it be neat to just be a little kid again? And not have to worry about all these things. And then I'm reminded that that's exactly where my heavenly Father wants me to be. Ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Do you think that's what Jesus was talking about when he said, My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Except ye be converted and become as little children... Followers of God as dear children, that means sweet and lovable, not normal. Amen? The beginning of all regular sacrifice in the tabernacle starts at the brazen altar. I beseech ye therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your... What's the next word? Bodies. Now, aren't you glad the next word is living and not dead? Amen. That ye present your bodies a living sacrifice. Holy, H-O-L-L-Y. Acceptable, H-O-L-Y. I'm sorry. Getting it mixed up with holy, W H O L L Y, but if it isn't the first holy if it isn't the second holy, it's not the first holy. And it goes both ways. Which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may present that that may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Oh, I preached on that in chapel and somebody put a quote apparently from what they thought I said in my sermon in the yearbook at Heartland and I'm sitting there going, I didn't say that! I was preaching against that! Oh well. We'll forgive the yearbook editor, right? That you may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect. Those are three different words that describe what happens when I worship God, God's way. To stand in the presence of God and be accepted. Can you imagine that? And then on top of that, to be allowed to bring worship to God and hear Him say, I am pleased. Wow. That's what we're supposed to do with our lives. And the tabernacle will teach us. We see God in the tabernacle all through it. But there's man and there's a place for us to serve and we must make that choice to serve him Each and every day. And we're never going to be perfect. That is not the goal. To be perfect in the nitpicking sense of the word. God considers us perfect in Jesus Christ. Because he paid the price for every sin. Can't get any more perfect than that. And as we live in that surrender of our lives to God. God can say. I accept your worship. What a great accomplishment. What a great achievement in life. Not to be accepted by my teacher, but to be accepted by God. Amen? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word and we thank You for Your blessings and the things that You do. We thank You that You didn't do everything and just make us sit in a little box and do nothing except say thank You. Lord, we're... We praise you because you give us things to do. You uh, allow us to exercise ourselves. You allow us to receive abilities and gifts from you and then take those gifts and perform in such a way that brings glory to your name. Lord, we just ask that you would bring this truth home in a very practical and real way to the life of each one here. In Jesus' name we pray. And before we finish that prayer, we'll have the piano play. If you need to slip out of your seat and spend a few moments with the Lord, the altar is open.